James, thank you so very much. My name is Doug Jones, and I'm the campus and teaching pastor here at the church at Woodbine, and it is a joy seeing each and every one of you here this morning, plus those online. We are glad that you're here. Before we dive into this passage here in Acts chapter 4, and James, thank you so much. I think I can understand Jesus in Chinese, so thank you so very much. I love it. I love it. I love it. Before we dive in, a couple announcements real quick. Um, I actually stole this uh, book here. It's the journal, the book of Acts. Wayne, this might be yours, but it's right here on the front. Oh, it's yours, Christy. I took yours, so thank you. I'm going to give it back in a second. We're going through the book of Acts for these next several months. And this is a journal. It is the book of Acts. On one page is the scripture. The other side is an area where you can journal. There are still some on both black tables. Feel free to take one. They are for you. It's a gift for you as we dive into this passage. So that's the first one. And Christy, do you mind coming back? Thank you so much. The second one is this. Winston and Emmy, and they're two littles, they are some of our global workers in Zimbabwe. If you notice that Winston had a special accent, and it's because he himself is from Zimbabwe. And so I know we all increased his IQ by 50 points because of that accent. And when you hear my accent, it gets lowered about 50 points. But that's just the way we are as Americans, right? No, but we're going to pray for them in a minute. But I do want to draw your attention to our world map back there. We have now nine global families who are global workers scattered all throughout the world. We have another young man who will be going to Thailand this summer for five years. And we have another couple that will most likely be going back to the Middle East at some point in time this year. We love it, and we love the fact that we are part of the Brentwood Baptist family because without being part of that family, I ask the question, could we send those many families overseas? It's one of the reasons why we have all these flags. God is giving us a glimpse of the nations here, and we love it, and we celebrate it. For those he's drawn here from the world, we share the gospel, we make disciples, but at the same time, we want to send people to the four corners of the world to make disciples. Amen? Ooh, are y'all sleeping? Amen? Amen. So with that, let's stand and let's pray. Please pray for Winston and Emmy. Pray for me. Thank you and let us pray. Father, we thank you for this amazing day. We love you. We worship you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your incredible love for us that you died on the cross. You took our sin, our shame. You bore our punishment And it was because of your great love, Father, that you have for us. We are no longer slaves to sin, to fear, or death. And it's because of your great love and your great sacrifice, Jesus. Father, open our eyes to understand your word today. There is a lot in this tiny little passage. Give me your words that I would say only what you want. Father, bring encouragement and strength and comfort and conviction and healing. Glorify your son, your holy servant, Jesus of Nazareth, here amongst us. And we ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen and amen. You all may be seated. One more quick announcement. I think this was made earlier, but I'm going to say it again. If you're here for the first time, welcome. We have a gift for you out in the foyer at our welcome desk. When you leave today, stop by and pick it up. We are so glad you're here. Right here in Acts chapter 4, some quick context. We're going to actually look at a couple verses here at the beginning of this chapter. James did not read, but I want to give some context. Acts chapter 4, verse 1 through 4, and it will be on the screen. This is what it says. While they were speaking to the people, 
the priest, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day, since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed in the number of men came to be about 5,000. Really quick, last week, the title of last week's sermon was See and Hear. And we were talking about the reality that we live in a day and age where people need to see the gospel of Jesus before they will hear the gospel. There are too many, and it's a large percentage of our population, of our culture, of our people, see the church as angry, racist, hypocritical, homophobic. That's how they view a lot of Christians today. Rather, if it's right or wrong, that's how many people see the church today. As bigoted, racist, angry, homophobes. They do not see Jesus. And our challenge today is when people look at us, when they see us, who do they see? Do they truly smell the wonderful, amazing, loving aroma of Christ flowing out of our words and actions? And if they do, God will open up incredible doors to proclaim his gospel. Right here in Acts chapter 3, what we saw last week, Peter and John entered the temple and there was a beggar. He was over 40 years old. He was a crippled from birth. He asked him for money. Peter, through the power and presence and faith in Jesus, healed the man. And that man got up and he started jumping and skipping and praising God. And thousands of people there in the temple complex flocked to that commotion. They saw the power of Jesus. And then Peter preached that Christ had come. He had died and he had risen from the dead. And as we just read here in verse 4, many came to believe that message. And it says the number of men who believed were up to 5,000. Well, that's just men. Most theologians think that over 10,000 people had now put their faith in Jesus. A little bit of context. The church in this chapter is only a couple months old. It went from 120 people to 3,000 people to over 5,000 men. Just in months. And as we read right here in verse 1 through 3, it says that the captain of the temple police, that's the number two person in charge in the faith and religion of the Jews at the time. He, along with the chief priest and the Sadducees, they took and they arrested Peter and John because they were preaching the resurrection of Jesus. And they threw him in jail. It was late in the evening. And because the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, would meet in the morning, and you might ask, well, who's the Sanhedrin? That's 70 of the top religious leaders of the whole nation. They would meet in the morning. And so Peter and John are in jail overnight. Why? Because they healed a man through the name and power of Jesus. It makes me wonder what happened to that cripple. I think he was with them. Because the very next day, as the Sanhedrin are interrogating Peter and John, they say, what can we do? Because this miracle is not only well known, but it's evident because the man is right here with them. So the next day, they're standing before the basic religious supreme court of all Israel. It's all about intimidation. 
This Sanhedrin is trying to intimidate Peter and John to be quiet. And they threaten them. Remember, Jesus had just been crucified months before. These are the same leaders that condemned Jesus to death and handed him over to Pilate. If you were in their place, what would you do? As we read on, if you jump down to verse 13 here, Acts chapter 4, 13, it'll be on the screen. This is what Peter says, or this is what Luke, the author of Acts, says. When they, the Sanhedrin, observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. We could preach three sermons right here. Real quickly, though, the Sanhedrin recognized that Peter and John were uneducated. They were not formally trained men, but they saw their boldness. And we're going to talk a little bit about what does boldness mean? And it also says here they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That is the most important and one of the greatest compliments we could ever get is when people see us, they see our lives and our actions and our love and our boldness, and their first conclusion is this, you've been with Jesus. That is the greatest compliment any of us could get. You've been with Jesus. Because the aroma of Christ was flowing out of Peter and John. They could see Jesus' fruit, the Holy Spirit, fruit flowing out of them. They continue to threaten them, and they command them to stop teaching and preaching in Jesus' name and to stop teaching about the resurrection. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 18 through 20, we'll read. Let's stand up again real quick. Starting in verse 18, I think, or is it 19? Verse, yeah, verse 18. This is what it says. It's on the screen. So they called for them and ordered them to stop speaking or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. They've been there all day. They've been intimidated. They're standing before the 70 religious leaders of their whole nation. Threats. It doesn't say that they were beaten here. But could you imagine the temptation of what's going through Peter and John's mind? What about that former crippled man who's now healed in Jesus' name? But Peter and John say, you decide, is it right for us to to obey you or to obey God? You decide. Here's the key, verse 20. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Have a seat. We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. What has Peter and what have John, what have they seen? Well, they've seen Jesus. They lived with Jesus for three and a half years. They were taught and discipled by Jesus. They saw his power, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness. They watched and saw his miracles. My favorite Right now, this year, my favorite nickname that they gave Jesus, and it was a derogatory nickname, was friend of sinners. The sinners of that day flocked to Jesus. 
The people that would not even come close to the temple weren't even allowed in the temple or the synagogue. Tax collectors, prostitutes, people of ill repute, they flocked to be with Jesus. And my question is, why? How? It was his grace. It was his love. It was his mercy. It was his power. Many people wanted to see Jesus because they wanted to see his miracles or be touched and healed by Jesus. Jesus didn't care about their motives. His arms were always wide open. Come to me. That's how he is. Peter said, John said, we cannot stop talking about what we have seen and heard. Okay, got a kind of a story to share but a question. Here's my question. How hard is it for grandparents to stay quiet about their new grandbaby? How hard is it for a grandfather or a grandmother to keep quiet about their newborn grandbaby? I mean, goodness gracious, when a new grandbaby is born, these grandparents, I mean, they're caught making phone calls, taking pictures, they're texting, they're messaging, they're Facebooking, they're proclaiming to the world, look at my beautiful grandson or granddaughter. Some of you know the story, Sammy was born here in the States, even though we lived in Mexico. I flew up, barely made the birth, was here for a week, and then went back for Holy Week. And two weeks later, Christy and Sammy flew down to Mexico for a week. And I couldn't wait to see my new son again. And they came to church on a Sunday. And Sammy was about, he was no bigger than this Bible. Black hair. And I remember when Christy came up, and I might start getting tear choked up now. I got so choked up because, and I'm the dad, I couldn't wait to show off my new son to our church in Mexico. You should have seen my parents, and Sammy was like grandson 50 for my mom and dad. I'm teasing. He's like grandson six. But my in-laws, Sammy was number one. My grandmother, my mother-in-law still oodling over Sam and Eric and Margie. It doesn't matter how many grandkids you have. My parents are in heaven now. I mean, they've got a gazillion grandkids. And when the next one was born, I mean, they just oohed and odd and pictures and text and messages and videos. Why? How hard would it be for us to shut up a new grandfather or a new grandmother with their new baby? They're going to say right here, we are unable to stop speaking and texting and videoing and Facebooking about what we see and what we hear with our new grandson, with our new granddaughter. Why? Because they're radically in love with this new little thing. Think about that as we continue this text. All right, a little bit of exercise. Let's stand up again. We're going to jump down right here in verse 23. The Sanhedrin threatens Peter and John. You better be quiet. You better be quiet. Right here in verse 23, after they were released, they went to their own people, released, that's Peter and John. They went to their own people and they reported everything that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. 
When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. You said through your Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot futile things? The kings of the earth, they take their stand. And the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, they assembled together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders that are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. We'll stop right there. So Peter and John, they're released. And they go back to their own. Y'all can be seated. Y'all don't have to stand up for the rest of this. They go back to their own. They they go back to the church. And they share with them everything that happened. About the miracle. They might even have that man there who's healed. And they talk about all the threats that the Sanhedrin poured out upon them. And they explain to them, we're unable to stop talking about this Jesus. He's alive. He was dead and he's been risen. We cannot stop it. So they tell the church and the church formed 20 committees to debate and discuss and talk about their next step. Correct? No. How does the church respond in light of this threat? What do they do? They radically with fervent, united prayer. And there's three things in this prayer that, we, that we'll see. Worship, <coughs> excuse me, a high value and honor of God's word, and they affirm God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Today's title of this sermon is the word boldness. And we're going to discuss what does boldness mean? But there's three things in this prayer. What do they do? How does the church respond? And this is a challenge for me and for you. When we find ourselves between a rock and a hard place with temptations, with trials, with tribulations, with loss, with hurt, with pain, with threats, with division, what is our first response? Well, this church's first response was prayer. And how do they start that prayer here in verse 24? When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and they said, Master, you are the one who's made heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. See, that's the first thing. It's all about worship. We were created for worship. We were created for relationship. In this church, instead of trembling and forming all types of groups and committees to discuss and debate what their next step should be, they start with worship master. I find it very interesting that that first word is master. So what does that make them? Servants, slaves. Why well, just thought we talked about that we're no longer slaves? You know, we're no longer slaves to sin and to death and to evil but we are slaves to Christ. I served as an Anglican priest in Mexico for almost 20 years. I love the white collar. You do what that white collar symbolizes? Being a slave to Christ. Master. So what does that make us? Servants. We will do whatever you command, Lord. 
And then what's the next act of worship? You created everything. You are creator. You're not only master, but you're creator. This is almost like the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are master. You are creator. And everything, you created everything. And the heavens on the earth and the sea, everything is yours. So you're the owner. You have it all. So that first thing, it's worship. Our first step in our life and everything that we do, we should start with worship. Individual worship, corporate worship. Number two is they place a high value and honor of God's word. Because as they pray, what did they do? They quote King David. It is Psalm chapter four. Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? And here is the kicker, which will move us into the third point. But they have this high value of scripture. They not only quote it back to the Lord, but they've got it memorized. Because we got to remember, they didn't carry around a bunch of Bibles in their hands. But they knew the scriptures and they incorporated into worship and prayer. God loves it. And I don't under, still don't understand why. But God loves it when we pray. To read back to him, to declare to him, to say to him what he has already told us in his word. It's a way of meditation. It's a way of thinking through and praying through scripture. And that's what this church is doing. And they declare that King David, though a king, was also a prophet. And they know scripture so well and they learned it so well from Jesus. And then all these Christians here are baby Christians. They then apply scripture to what actually happened. And you see it in verse 27, where they say, after they quote Psalm 4, they say, in fact, here in this city, Herod and Pontius Pilate, together with the Gentiles and the religious leaders of of our people, they took Jesus and they crucified him. Applying scripture to the life of Jesus, it's powerful. Now, here's the third thing. The third point is they affirm God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. This will blow your mind. It looks like two opposing truths, biblical truths, that contradict each other. But that's that biblical tension that we are in. And there's going to be many questions we can have about Scripture where we're like, I'll try to figure this out, but when I get to heaven. Verse 28 to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. God had predetermined and predestined before the creation of the whole universe that his son, his beloved, his one and only son, would come and live as a human, a perfect human, a sinless human, but with our human nature, and take our sin upon his body and shed his blood. That was all predetermined before creation. And the most wretched, tragic, horrific event that ever happened in human history was the betrayal, the flogging, and the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet the most glorious, amazing, wonderful, sacrificial event of love that has ever happened in the history is the betrayal, trial, flogging, and death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They seem to contradict each other, yet God predetermined it 
And that is part of what we see in Scripture. God is sovereign, as this prayer declares. He knows all things. He's predetermined all things. And yet we as humans are held responsible for our own actions. And God is so powerful and amazing and sovereign. He can actually take horrific, sinful things and fulfill his good, perfect will. It might not make sense to us on this side of eternity, but when we pass through that door and we see Jesus face to face, we will say, ah. We'll say that most common word in heaven, wow. And you can say it backwards too, wow. And it basically means holy. God, you're amazing. You're beyond description. And all I can do is bow and worship you. Now I get it. That's where this church was. As we move on, we're coming to a close. Here's the petition. We'll stand up one last time. Let's go ahead and stand again. So this whole part, the majority of this prayer is worship and just declaring God's sovereignty and his word and who he is. Now here's the petition. Verse 29. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You may be seated. They ask for four things. The first is this. They ask that God consider the threats of the religious leaders. Consider their threats. There are going to be times when we're confronted with evil and with situations where we see no way out. And that's where we just have to plead to God. God, consider what I'm in. I don't even know what to pray, but you do. And open the doors. This young, early church knows that their end could be the exact same thing that happened to Jesus. Death, beatings, imprisonment. Jesus said over and over, the world will hate you because it hated me first. Jesus says, you will be persecuted for righteousness' sake, for his name's sake. And the church is getting it early and often here. And so they plead to the Lord, consider their threats. Consider their threats, Lord. Have your way. And then they ask, whether they ask, they then ask and they say, Lord, grant your servants boldness. And we're going to talk about that here in a minute. Boldness to what? To continue to proclaim and speak your word. Specifically, that Christ has died, Christ was buried, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Anoint us with boldness, not to be obtuse or obnoxious, but with God-inspired, Holy Spirit-filled love, boldness to proclaim the gospel. And then they ask, and Father, extend your hand to do what? Signs, healings, and wonders. Oh, if the church needed it then, it needs it now. We have a God of wonders a God of the miraculous, and they are praying and pleading that God would continue to heal. You see, this man who was healed, crippled, was the first post-resurrection miracle that the church had done. 
The apostles had done it a lot with Jesus on his mission journey, their mission trips before his death and resurrection. But this was the first one. And as, you, as we read the book of Acts, we'll see a whole lot more miracles. And they're asking God, extend your hand for healing, signs, and wonders. Not so that they're famous, but why? And we see it right here. It's so that Jesus is glorified. Because at the end of verse 30, they say, performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. It's all about the glory and worship of Jesus. Everything we say and do. It's all for his glory. And then what happened? Verse 31. And I won't make you guys stand for this one. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. How was that place shaken? Did the foundation shift? Or is there cracks in the ground? It just says it was shaken. Did it shake the whole house and then come back without any signs of an earthquake? We don't know, but the place was shaken. They were filled again with Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit hasn't left them. But they had a new encounter with the Lord through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, and then they began to continue to speak boldly. Acts 4.20, and we saw this earlier, but it's going to be on the screen, and I'll read it again. When Peter and John were threatened, never preach or teach in the name of Jesus again. This was their response. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. My question for all of us is, how hard is it to make a new grandparent to be quiet about their new grandbaby? It's basically impossible. Why? Because you're just overwhelmingly in love with this new little baby. You see, Peter and John, they had experienced and saw, and they walked with Jesus. And remember, they betrayed Jesus. Right before Jesus' death, Peter even vowed that he would die with Jesus, and yet he betrayed him. John and James argued with the other apostles about who would sit on the right and left hand of Jesus when he entered his kingdom. Before the death and resurrection of Jesus, these apostles, they were so immature, and they were so walking in the flesh. And when Jesus had risen from the dead and he entered their presence and he said, peace be with you. And he pursues Peter and he confronts Peter about his betrayal. Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter, do you love me? And there's a play on the Greek there with love and like. But he forgives Peter and he restores Peter. And you see the apostles, when they encounter the risen Christ, they begin to understand and see this Jesus truly is who he says he always was. And we are broken sinners, lost, dead in our transgressions. Yet our Father's love is so great that he's given us new life and he's forgiven us and he's restored us. And one day he promises to come home. And they were filled with Holy Spirit and they were so radically in love with, the, with Jesus with our Heavenly Father, they were so filled with Holy Spirit that they had the power and the boldness to say, we can't stop talking about him. He's so amazing and so wonderful. How can we shut up? We live in a lost and dying world and everyone who lives is dead in their sin and they're lost and they're broken and they need the love of Christ. And God has loved us so much that he gave us his son, Jesus, and he's now given us his Holy Spirit. How can we stay quiet and not tell others about who he is? Because our friends, our family members, our neighbors, our coworkers who don't know Jesus, they're already condemned to hell. 
And we all have been called to be the light and love of Christ. And some of us actually need a push to share the gospel. One of my greatest fears is some of my friends who I love dearly, supposedly, I haven't told them about Jesus because I'm too afraid. And one of my concerns is I'm going to get to heaven and they're going to turn and look at me at judgment. They said, and you knew this whole time and you never told me. I have friends at the weight room I have not told yet. I'm praying for that opportunity and I know I need to take that step. And I haven't. What about you? Do we love Jesus enough to be bold enough enough and risk that relationship to not only share, but show them the love of Christ? So here's my challenge to all of us. It's a first step. I want to challenge all of us to invite one person to church for the next four Sundays. And not only that, to take that bold step, to talk to them about your best friend, Jesus. Bathe it in prayer before, during, and after. Many of us need that step of boldness. May our boldness, though, be this, may it be a Holy Spirit-inspired courage and confidence to share the gospel of Jesus in spite of any danger, threat, or consequence to our well-being. Our boldness requires humility, courage, wisdom, and discernment, and a Jesus-inspired love for the well-being of others and for their salvation. Peter and John are the epitome of Holy Spirit-inspired boldness. Now, I could walk into a restaurant with a megaphone and begin proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not being bold. That's being obnoxious. They need to see and hear. And there's a difference from being obtuse and being bold, being obnoxious and being bold. Biblical Holy Spirit boldness requires incredible humility, perseverance, grace, and self-sacrifice for the long run. Because for some of our dear friends and neighbors, it might take 20, 30, 40 years. Are you willing to persevere that long with that person? Are you willing to love them when they don't love you back? Are you willing to serve them and invest in their lives with no strings attached? I want to invite the worship team to come forward, and I want to read a quote by Tim Keller. And worship team, go ahead and come on up. And he's talking about boldness. And this is what he says about the early church and the challenge to us. They were both attractive and growing, yet hated and attacked. This description of the early church cuts us two ways. If on the one hand, we experience no attacks or persecution for our faith, it means we are simply being cowards. We are not taking risks 
and our witness, we are not being bold. On the other hand, if we experience attacks without a fruitfulness and attractiveness, for example, if we get lots of persecution and no affirmation, it may mean we are being persecuted for being harsh or insensitive or strident. Jesus said we would only be blessed if we were persecuted for righteousness sake. It is quite possible. Indeed, it is very normal for Christians to be persecuted, not for their faith, but for their discourtesy, insensitivity, or lack of warmth and respect in their dealings with others. Insensitive, harsh Christians will have persecution, but not praise. Cowardly Christians will have praise, but not persecution. Most Christians whose walk with God is weak actually get neither. But Christians who are closest to Jesus will get both as he did. Let us stand. The Sanhedrin, when they noticed the boldness of Peter and John, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. May people recognize that we are with Jesus and bow the knee to him. Let's worship.